Good morning. Let's open in our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 1. I'll tell you, you've never heard that beautiful hymn we just sang, sung, until you've heard it sung by 30,000 people. Uh, I went to a conference once, and I'll tell you, it was a little foretaste of heaven to hear that sung by 30,000 blending voices. You know who's going to be singing in heaven? So it's a good activity to practice here. Okay, uh, we're continuing in our studies of uh, New Testament characters. We're going to study nobody this morning. Excuse me. We're going to study a nobody this morning. Joseph, the husband of Mary. Unlike his Old Testament namesake, who uh, interpreted dreams and became the second... Uh, man in all of Egypt, which was probably the most powerful empire at the time, Joseph had uh, no such credentials to his name. He did visit Egypt, uh, but he performed no miracles. In fact, it might surprise you, uh, can anybody give me a quote out of the New Testament by Joseph? You can't, because there aren't any. There are no recorded words of Joseph speaking. Nevertheless, uh, there are enough clues from what takes place in Joseph, Joseph's life and some things that God says about him to give us enough to chew on this morning. So uh, we'll begin at the beginning, uh, which is the angel speaking to Mary about the miraculous uh, pregnancy she is about to experience. Here in Luke chapter 1 and uh, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. There's our guy. Of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We have to begin here because this is setting up a dilemma that's going to come upon Joseph 
in a very short time. Uh, the only mention of Joseph here is in verse 27. She's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Betrothed. A little different from today. We prob- what word would we be using, do you think? Engaged, yeah. Uh, somebody's raising their hand like that's what it says in your Bible. And it may say that word, but it's quite different from our culture. Uh, when a couple was engaged at the time of Jesus, they were as good as married. It was serious business. In fact, you couldn't get out of it without getting a divorce. Okay? Um, and in fact, if uh, uh, either of the partners uh, had relations or with someone else, it was considered adultery. Even though uh, the formal ceremony had not taken place, really, uh, they were as good as married. So we want to follow the sequence here uh, in order the way things took place. So the sequence is first, Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And there is a ceremony at that time. They're committed to each other. And as I said, they're as good as married, although the word that's used is betrothed. And then there'll be, after a period of time, the final ceremony later, the wedding. That's taken place. Uh, Next is Gabriel's announcement to Mary. Imagine her surprise. And then the conception of a child in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. And it hasn't happened yet because Gabriel said plainly in verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. So the miraculous conception hasn't occurred yet. Okay, now, um, we have a little extra time, so I'm going to talk a little bit now about this whole subject of the virgin birth. Uh, it's interesting last week we talked about the Lord's death and resurrection and just as he died like no other man so he was born like no other man he was born of a virgin Uh, and as Mary said here how can that be maybe we might ask why can that be because it's going to cause no little trouble (laughs) particularly with Joseph you know why complicate things Well, uh, some clues are given here. Um, In verse 35, I love this. It says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then it says that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That Holy One. We need to uh, revisit some things about what makes up a person like we did last week because of misconceptions uh, in the world today. I see a lot of interesting faces and bodies out here but let me tell you that body is not you you inhabit that body and when you die you're going to leave that body so at conception god does the miraculous uh act of creating a new being and uniting that person which is not the body soul and spirit with the uh, single cell in the mommy, okay? Which is, uh, and we have good reason to believe that. For example, Psalm 139 uh, seems to say that as well. Uh, Which is why people are so concerned about abortion. Uh, The evolutionists would have us believe that there are just molecules that turn into dust. No, there is a person there 
whom God has created, an eternal spirit. So we need to remember that. So already we have an interesting situation here because the person of Jesus Christ already exists as the son of God and he has eternally. He is God. Okay? So in this case, God doesn't need to create a person. The person already exists as the eternal God, God the Son. We need to pause and think about that. This eternal one, this infinite one, is now going to unite uh, with the conception, in the conception with the body and become a man. That's incredible, isn't it? It's called the incarnation. That's something we should never lose our sense of wonder over. But... Uh, God the Son, in His person, from eternity past, only has one nature, God. Here's the incredible thing. He will take upon Himself a human nature as well. As they say, there's now a man in the glory. That's incredible. Isn't that incredible? God the Son became a man permanently. And it wasn't just some miracle to be a miracle. Listen to how God carefully describes why in, from the book of Hebrews. He says, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. This is God the Son. For whom? Everything was created for him. And everything was created by him. Okay? Pretty lofty being, huh? In bringing many sons to glory bringing people to heaven to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't perfect, but as long as he's the one for whom are all things and to whom are all things, he's not going to be my savior. He's incomplete in that sense. And until he suffers and dies on the cross, in that sense, he's not a perfect savior. Do you understand? That's what that is saying. Make him perfect through sufferings. Well, as the eternal God who inhabits eternity and the whole universe isn't big enough to contain him. He doesn't have a body and he's not going to be a substitute for me as a person. He's not a man. And so he's going to go on to explain that. He says, um, in as much then as the children, that's people, have partaken of flesh and blood. Doesn't mean we're cannibals. It means we have bodies too, okay? He himself likewise shared in the same. Took on a body. You follow that? Okay? Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Incredible. God became a man. Now, he didn't stop being God. He, that's a silly statement. I've heard people say that. He can't stop being God. He is God. You understand? That's who he is. But now he is a human, fully human, fully God. Why? That through death, he couldn't die as God, you see. But now he can as a man. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Really simply, he did it for me. He did it for you. That's why he did it. So he could die in your place and mine. 
For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does, does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That's an interesting comment. You know, angels have sinned too. There's no hope for angels. He did not take upon him the nature of an angel. He took upon him the nature of a man and died in our place. Praise God. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So really, there are two reasons given here. The first is that he might be a substitute for you and for me. The Old Testament picture is in Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. When he became a man, he is now my kinsman. In this passage, it's incredible. Quotes the Old Testament and gives the words to Jesus saying, uh, therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's like us. And uh, the quote is, here am I and the children whom God has given me. It's saying he's speaking now as a man, just like us. But also, uh, isn't it great? Jesus can sympathize with what we go through every day. Isn't that great? You know, um, you could say, well, he, he knew about it before as God. Yeah, but this is incredible. Now he's experiencing it. Okay, it says when he was walking along that dusty road in Samaria, he sat down being weary. And it was a hot day. He asked for a drink. Jesus slept. He wept. The things that are common to all. Isn't that incredible? Our God who created all things experienced these things as a man. So now when you pray to him, you're praying to someone who can relate. Okay. Praise God for that. Now, we want to be careful about that. And it's going to get us back to the uh, virgin birth because it says in that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. And here's where a lot of people go wrong. They think, oh, man, you know, I have such a tug on me to, to sin. It's a good thing Jesus uh, went through that, too. He can relate, you know, when I want to sin and I pray about it. No, there's a difference there. The impeccability that's the name of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Doesn't just mean that he did not sin. It means he could not sin. Let's be very clear about that. Okay. It says in James, in this section talking about uh, how we should be praying to God for all things and, and so on. It says, um, God himself cannot be tempted by evil. That's pretty clear. And, that, and do you understand? God has no interest in sin. In fact, he hates it. And that's the way he's always been. That's the way he's always going to be because that's the way he is. Okay? I can't relate to that. I wish I could. You know? Sometimes, doesn't sin seem kind of nice? Come on. Yeah. It's never like that to God. Ever. He hates it with a pure hatred. 24 hours, 24 seven. Okay. Always has and always will. That's who we're talking about here. Who's going to be born of Mary. This is God. He hates sin. Well, what about it when it said, well, he, he suffered uh, being tempted. Well, I want you to look at this verse. So it's emblazoned on your mind. Hebrews four fifteen. please look at it.
just about every commentator agrees this is probably the most unfortunate translation in the bible and the fault is not with god's word it's with the men who translated it hebrews 4 15 it'll sound like we've been what we've been saying so far it begins for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin now what does that last part sound like it's saying it sounds like it's saying you know he came close to sinning but wow sure glad he didn't you know by the way what's the guarantee he's not going to sin later if he can sin we're in jeopardy for the rest of eternity do you realize that so if if you are still fudging on this doctrine you better think it through because you're in big trouble you haven't got a savior you're on probation as long as he behaves himself i'm serious and you don't understand the nature of god he cannot sin sin he has no interest in sin because we're so familiar with it we think oh well you know he's a man so you know it had to have a pull on him no i'm sorry never any interest just nothing nothing to respond to it so that's why the virgin birth you see it preserved the impeccability the the human nature that god created there wasn't a fallen adamic nature like we get when we're born i hate to say this i know this is troubling to some people you know you were born a sinner you're not a sinner because you sin you sin because you're a sinner let me put it this way i sin because i am a sinner my sinning didn't make me a sinner okay here's the way uh it it talks about uh the lord jesus first uh, first peter peter says it this way for this you were called because christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth so he did no sin okay you understand that he committed no sin right what does john say john says and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin do you see the difference in him inside okay jesus said look it's not the outside when you know you got a dirty cup it's not what you take into your body that that defiles you it's what comes out of your heart and he gives a whole list there adulteries murders fornications lying and so on the source is here this is the problem inside okay you understand i sin because i'm a sinner paul puts it beautifully in uh, romans listen to this what i am doing i do not understand for what i will to do that i do not practice but what i hate that i do can you relate to this if then i do what i will not to do i agree with the law that it is good but now it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me there it is he says it's here it started here this is the problem for i know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells for to will is present with me but how to perform what is good i do not find for the good that i will to do i do not do 
but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I, I love and hate that word. It's very strong. Dwells. Sin has found a home here. Okay. Now, maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning. That's a good reason to come to know him. Because you're in the same boat. Jesus put it beautifully toward the end of his life. He said, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Isn't that beautiful? Nothing. Nothing to latch on to. Unlike you and me. Hallelujah. What a savior. Okay. Uh, that was, um, what, what did Bill call him in his comment? That was an excursus on the virgin birth, okay? Charlie is nodding vehemently, saying it was a bunny path. Okay, let's get back to Joseph. Now, the point is, Joseph, this is interesting. I don't know if you've noticed it before. Uh, turn over to Matthew uh, 1, by the way. We're going to be uh, spending our time this morning, if you have two bookmarks, put them there, in Matthew 1 and Luke 2. Because the events in Joseph's life are shuffled like a deck of cards between the two books. So if we want to go in order, we're going to have to, it's only like three or four switches we're going to have to make here. But Joseph doesn't know what Gabriel told Mary. And in fact, she doesn't tell him right away. Now, I, I, I can't explain that. I don't know why. She did run off to Elizabeth right away and shared the good news. And they spent several months together uh, down in Judea. But um, for some reason, uh, it appears from from the way the Bible talks, Joseph didn't find out until, you know, she was showing. OK. Um, so the point of that is put yourself in Joseph's shoes. OK, here they are betrothed going to get married, and now she's showing pregnant. Let's see what happens here. This is Matthew chapter 2. Now, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 1, verse 18. <clears throat> now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, we got to pay attention here because he's one of the few sections about Joseph. So think about Joseph as we read these words. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your, what? Wife. Now, isn't that interesting? See, in the eyes of God, she's as good as his wife. Isn't that interesting? That shows you how seriously God takes marriage. Your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done. Now, that's all. That's all Joseph heard right there. Okay? That's, that's enough. Huh? So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And you say, oh, wait a minute. No, it doesn't. They said Jesus. Why does it say Emmanuel? That's not right. No, it's great. The reason he's quoting Isaiah here is to say the prophecy of a virgin (laughs) bearing a son. It's wonderful that there's another name here. If it bothers you, Jesus has two. You're just starting. He's got hundreds of beautiful names. Jesus, Jehovah is Savior, and Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, man, isn't that great? Here's Jesus, the man. He's God with us. Remarkable. Well, what does Joseph do? Verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Now, the phrase took to him, which was used by the angel and is now used here, does not mean physical relations. It simply means marriage. We know that because the next verse says, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So they didn't have relations until the Lord Jesus was born. She, born. she remained a virgin until the birth. But Joseph, so what's your impression of Joseph here? What do you think? Pretty good guy, huh? Yeah. God says he's a just man. Okay. He thought about it. He didn't go out and blab, you know. Oh, man, guess what Mary did, you know. He was thinking about it to himself and God knew that. Why did God wait? Well, I think it was so we could see it was a test. God brings tests into our lives so that we and other people can see what's really going on in here. That's it. And you don't know until the test comes. If God sent Gabriel to Joseph or another, say, Michael to Joseph and Gabriel to Mary and told them both concurrently, we never would have known what Joseph would have done. But now we do know. Because uh, Joseph didn't know right away. And it says that he was a just man. He thought about it and he was he wanted to avoid the public scandal uh, that Mary would have to go through. And so he wanted to do it uh, secretly. Well, uh, of course, we know it didn't come to that. And so Joseph, uh, another good sign, he immediately uh, obeyed and they went out and got married. Now, we don't know exactly how this fits in because we don't get any context here as to where in Luke this, fit, this fits in. But obviously it's before the birth of Jesus. We know that much. Okay, well, uh, Joseph is our subject, so let's try to you know, extract out as much as we can here. Um, first of all, the, the first thing we might think about is, you know, what do you think, what would you do, you know? <laughs> In Joseph's shoes. Here's Mary. She comes and says, I'm pregnant. You know? Now, obviously, she would have explained to him, the, the angel Gabriel came to me and said, you know, that the Holy Spirit would, would conceive a child in me and so on. You think it'd be hard to believe that? <laughs> it never happened. Okay. I'm sorry. And so we can't blame Joseph for having trouble with that. Uh, but like I said, his, his, uh, ultimate reaction, I think it really speaks well of him in that, uh, he didn't want to, uh, make an example of her publicly. Um, and by the way, now that they're married still, uh, it's going to come out when she gives birth, right? Nine months. Okay. 
Ladies are good at this. You know, nine months. Okay, today's March 3rd. You go back, look at the calendar. You know, that's when conception happens. And it's uh, real simple. I mean, she, he was conceived before they were married. And so uh, this may be why he avoids uh, going back to Galilee for a while. We don't know. But it might be a good reason because uh, it's going to become clear that she, she, would, she conceived before they were married. Also, putting yourself in, in Joseph's shoes. It's interesting, by the way, in the case of Joseph, every time God tells him something, it's always an angel in a dream. Gabriel came and spoke to Mary. But with Joseph, it's always a dream. There are three of them, in fact. And um, he's always obedient when, when God speaks to him through the angel in the dream. But you, you want to wonder if the guy, every night he went to bed, you know, What's it going to be tonight, you know? But he's going to hear and he's going to see everything that Mary does about this unique child. They alone are privy to, to, uh, to Anna and Simeon and the, and the shepherds coming and hearing about the angels singing. And all. They alone are the only two who hear and see everything uh, during the birth period of of this child and i'll tell you you got to put yourself in their shoes and figure you know what did they think about all of this you know how did it register how did they deal with it it says about mary a couple of times i love it it says uh, something like she treasured these things in her heart it's kind of like i don't understand now but i'll just tuck it away and you know maybe later i can make better sense of it I think Joseph probably did a similar thing. You know, they just, they didn't understand a lot. Okay. Uh, so I, I think it's wonderful here. Um, uh, verse 25. It's, it, notice what it said. It said, he called his name Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Well, God had already called him Jesus. But here it gives credit to Joseph. It says, he called his. So the baby's born and Joseph says, okay, his name is Jesus. Kind of like. Um, uh, Zechariah with uh, with John, you know, his name is John. He had to write it, of course, you know. Okay, uh, one a final little. Uh, this is a very short excursus. Uh, the silly doctrine of certain groups that uh, Mary was a perpetual virgin. You got to throw your Bible out if you're going to hold to that doctrine. What did it say? Verse twenty five. He did not know her until she had brought forth. Her firstborn child. If that doesn't do it for you, here's uh, Mark chapter six. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, "Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands?" Talking about Jesus, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So Jesus had at least. Six siblings, four brothers, half brothers, and uh, t- at least two sisters. We don't know how many, but it's plural. And isn't that like God, by the way, in this family, uh, in whom he brought uh, God the Son as a child, he gave them at least six other kids, which was a blessing, at least in those days, okay, uh, to this family. I think that's wonderful. Six other children. Okay, 
uh, and I told you, we're going to be going back and forth. Now back to Luke, because uh, the next thing that happens is located there. Luke 2. Either keep your thumb in both places, or uh, if you've got a, a, a bookmark, use that. Now we're up to Luke chapter 2. We're not going to read the whole section here. It's uh, the birth and the, and the shepherds and so on. But we, we, again, we want to think about Joseph in all of this. First, uh, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay. Um, first of all, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He's, uh, by the way, Jesus was called a carpenter. Therefore, we're almost 100% sure that, that uh, Joseph was a carpenter. He would have taught his eldest son his own profession. That's how Jesus uh, became a, a carpenter. He's not a rich guy, okay? He's not, he's not a landholder. He's not a, a banker. And so to make this kind of trip is costly for him. Every time They're moving all over the place. And uh, I'll tell you, it, it, it puts a dent in the family budget. So you can think, here's Joseph. He, he brings... Uh, his wife, very far along now, into uh, the city of Bethlehem, and uh, there's no place to stay. This isn't like today where you can phone ahead and uh, make a reservation. You get there and you find out. And uh, now later, the uh, shepherds are going to have the vision on the hillside. The heavens are going to open up. They're going to hear the heavenly host singing, bright lights Okay, the glory of God shining around them. You know, you know it very well. And then the shepherds come in now. So you can imagine Joseph and Mary and the infant, the newborn infant, are there in the manger. And you need to put out some of the stereotypes in your vision. It was probably a cave. Okay, and the manger is a feeding trough. And it's not very clean in there. All right, you always see visions of these sparkling creches out there on Christmas. All right, it's not a nice place. But, you know, it, it fits with God when he came into this world. Wouldn't have been, I don't know, uh, kind of schmaltzy if he'd been born in the palace. This is more in keeping with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, the humble one. So here's Mary and Joseph and, and the infant. And, and these shepherds come rushing in, you know. You don't know these guys. And they proceed to tell what has just happened out on the hillside. And what the angel in particular had said about this infant. So here you are soaking in some more uh, information about this child that you have. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The, the word Christ is Messiah. Okay? So the, 
the shepherds come in and say, hey, we came to see the Messiah, this infant, your child. And as I thought about it, you know, Joseph and Mary, for one thing, have got to be wondering if this this isn't the way I pictured the Messiah coming. You know, I I am uh, honored that that uh, he's my he's my child. But, uh, you know, there's no palace, there's no throne. You know, and a, a lot of questions. Okay, well, and so they got to wonder, you know, why obscurity? Why, why poverty? Why is the Messiah coming into our family of all places? Then uh, look over at verse 21 now. After eight days, they have to wait eight days uh, after the birth before they take him to the temple. And they do that. Verse uh, 21, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Well, We'll just stop there. So uh, they're in the temple dedicating the Lord, so to speak. He's, he's named, uh, he's circumcised and so on. And again, uh, someone's going to come. Simeon's going to come. And as you know, he says these, this wonderful uh, prayer, if you will, um, in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the faces of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Imagine, you're the parent standing there with a baby in your arms. Simeon comes up, he literally takes the baby, you know, and and pronounces this uh, prophecy, blessing. I don't know what else to call it. And you're going, what? You know? And then later, Anna comes, very excited. Uh, The same thing. They don't know her from anybody. And she talks about this child that they have. All we can do is speculate. But one of the things that that, uh, really struck me is that uh, throughout these events and later, Joseph never tried to make use of the fact that he's the father of the Messiah. You know, he could have done that. You say, well, that's unusual. No, it's not. You remember uh, the mother of John and James, the disciples. Because they were followers of Jesus, what did she do? She wanted to make use of that fact. And she came to Jesus and said, hey, you know, I got two great boys that are following you. How about when you come into your kingdom, you put one on your left hand and one of them on your right. John there and James there. Wouldn't that be good? Okay. Yeah. So. In this case, we can argue from silence. Joseph apparently never did anything like that. He's the father in the family. He's just a humble guy, a carpenter, trying to care for his family, and he fears God. If you want a lesson, that's it this morning. That's Joseph, okay? He's not a superstar. You don't have to be a superstar to please God. He doesn't want you to be a superstar, (laughs) 
Jesus is the superstar. I'm the nobody. Be like Joseph. So he's, he is. He's a good positive example. All right. Back to Matthew. See, I warned you. Matthew 2. Uh, we went through most of this with Herod. We studied Herod several weeks ago. You remember, right? The Magi came from the east to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. And uh, Herod pretends to want to know where he is so he can worship when he secretly really wants to kill the Messiah, his rival, the king of the Jews. And uh, it leads to the slaughter, as you know, of all the children uh, to and under in the whole neighborhood of uh, Bethlehem. And so... Um, in verse uh, 13, we read this. After the Magi had departed, so, so here's another visit, right? Here you are, Joseph and Mary, and these guys come and they're worshiping your child and using the phrase king of the Jews. Wow. They leave, that's what this means, verse 13. And when they had departed, that's the Magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. There it is again, saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, that's Joseph, that is, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying out of Egypt, I have called my son. Another dream, another command. Joseph is obedient immediately. This is not a small thing. We're going to another country now, okay? It's costly. Travel was not cheap. Obviously, God provided for them, uh, and that's why they were able to do all these things. Nevertheless, you're going to think about it when you say, okay, I got to go to Egypt. It's slow, okay? You got a wife and child. Every time you stop for the night, you got to pay for the bedding. You got to pay for food all along the way. Okay. Uh, verse 19. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, guess what? An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Saying, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Another trip, another big trip. Okay. But uh, Joseph didn't, uh, he never questions. He, he just does what the Lord tells him and they go back again. Verse 21, then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. These are recorded to let us know. Joseph is, is a, an obedient guy. He really honors the Lord. But, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. It's interesting. That's where they started from the very beginning. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he should be called a Nazarene. Interesting. Um, when they came back, Archelaus uh, had a reputation and it was as bad as Herod's and, and Joseph knew about that. Obviously, they had also learned what Herod had done 
in killing the infants before. And so it's, did you notice uh, Joseph already didn't want to go back to the southern half Judea before the angel even warned them. Um, he anticipated God, so to speak, on this. He was afraid. In this case, the fear in the leader of the family is a good thing. I don't think Joseph is, is so fearful for himself. He's afraid for the child. Because he knows what Herod did before. He went out, he slaughtered the infants. And he's, you know, that might happen again. This kind of fear is okay. This is a man watching out for his family. Okay? He's in God's will. He's safe. The time to be fearful as a professing Christian is when you're out of the will of God. That's when it's time for the man and the wife and the children to fear. Because that's when the guy makes wrong decisions. Sometimes long-term bad decisions. And I know there are a lot of women here who can testify. They'd much rather have a, a husband, if you're, if you're a believer, you'd much rather have a husband who's willing to do the hard thing in, in the fear of the Lord than take the easy path because you're afraid of the inconvenience it might cause you. Isn't that right? Amen. So that's the kind of husband uh, Joseph is. He's, he'll, he'll do the hard thing if that's what God wants. The fear here is a good thing. And uh, sure enough, God confirmed his fears by uh, warning him ag- again in a dream not to go there. So they go back up to uh, Nazareth. Okay, the last passage we're going to see is back in Luke. Time has passed. And we... We really, we have no scripture at all uh, describing the childhood of Jesus up into the age of 12. So 12 years have passed now. And uh, certainly Joseph has begun to teach his older son, stepson, uh, carpentry. And they all had to have noticed uh, the life of the Lord Jesus as a child. No sin, you know. Well, verse 41 of Luke 2. His parents went to, this is Jesus. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Well, there's a little insight. Remember, it was not easy to travel for a poor man like Joseph. But here was a man who feared God every year. Can you imagine? That's a long trip. He took the family down to Jerusalem faithfully to celebrate the Passover like a good Jew. Good. That's a good statement about Joseph. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy, Jesus, lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So you need to understand, how could you miss your son? Well, the company. This would be quite a caravan. You can help cut expenses if a bunch of you are coming, not just from uh, the town of Nazareth, but from the nearby area of Galilee, if you could kind of pool your resources and go down together. And so that's obviously what it was. I don't know what the size of it would have been, but obviously they probably expected that, that Jesus was with another part of the group somewhere, And so they didn't think about it when he wasn't right there with them. But after who knows how long, 
you know, they began to find out where is Jesus and he wasn't anywhere. So they go back. Verse 45, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Twelve years old. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. That's putting it mildly. They must have listened, you know, for, overheard some of it and uh, been astounded at his understanding of, of who God is and who man is and so on, what the law is for. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. That sounds like a response from today, doesn't it? Isn't that, isn't that what we would say? How could you do this to us? You know, we're, we're mad with worry. Imagine hearing this as a response. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Wow. Now, you wonder how Joseph heard that. I think it's poignant. Because like any other Jew, he would have expected his eldest son to take over, you know, the trade when he himself died. Uh, and he I, he knows at this point Jesus is not talking about carpentry. But he doesn't understand. It says that, verse 50, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So uh, I'll tell you, there are a lot of mysteries being apparent here in this family. They just don't understand a lot. Uh, certainly, it's been 12 years now since they had to have at least mentally come to the conclusion that this is the long-promised Messiah, but all the uh, trappings are not there. The throne, you know, the ruling from Jerusalem and so on. They're confused. They don't understand. And Joseph certainly had to be uh, in that boat. Well, verse 51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart as she so often did in the Gospels. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So uh, he continued many more years in the family. He was subject to them. He would have been obedient. Uh, You wouldn't have to correct him, you know. But if he were told to make something in the shop or whatever, you know, he'd do it without questioning. They had to have seen the difference. The, the ultimate testimony, by the way, from inside the family of Jesus, we do have a word on that, and it's in the book of Acts. When the disciples are gathered together in the upper room, it says very plainly that Mary and the brothers of Jesus were there together praying. So they saw his life. Uh, you know the book of James. That's written by James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus. So they saw his life. It was there. And and Joseph saw it too. Jesus increased, it says in 52, but really at this point, Joseph decreased. We don't hear a word about him after this in the Bible. He disappeared. 
So we can't say any more than what we've seen here this morning. Um, we know uh, later, I read that passage in Mark 6 about, you know, his, his brothers and his sisters. They called him at that point, the son of Mary. Now, they would not have done that if Joseph were still alive. So pretty obviously, Joseph did not see the public ministry of Jesus Christ. So he died before the Lord Jesus went public, so to speak. The point is he died with his question. As it says in Hebrews, he died in faith. He, he never did see uh, the Messiah, you know, at least come public and preach and do the miracles and all the wonderful things of Jesus ministry. He died never having seen or heard any of that. Yet he served God in a in a unique way as no one else has ever done. He provided a home for his creator. Wow, huh? He, he fed, clothed, and sheltered his maker as a child and through uh, all of his youth and into uh, even into young adulthood. So, as I said, um, he's a good example of a nobody for you and me, a nobody for God. Like John the Baptist, it says here, Jesus increased. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, by the time the Lord Jesus started his public ministry, Joseph was gone. He was there no longer. But he had served uh, the purpose that God had for him in the life of the Lord Jesus. Jeremiah said, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Don't be a seeker of great things. Don't be chasing after fame and uh, all that kind of stuff, the trappings of the world. I'm just going to read. We'll close with this prayer, and I'm just going to read it. I love this prayer. You've heard me quote it before, but I think uh, it could have aptly been the name of the, the prayer of a Joseph or John the Baptist or many of the other obscure saints that come and go in the scriptures and just appear long enough to do what God wanted them, and then uh, he takes them. Deliver me, Lord Jesus, from the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of being rebuked, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected. But grant, Lord Jesus, that you may be loved more than I, that you may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of others you may increase and I decrease, that you may be praised and I unnoticed, that you may be preferred to me in everything, that in all things, including my life, you may have the preeminence. In Jesus' name, amen.